And the words will be up on the screen too. But there's no substitute to holding this book in your hand and looking at the story of God and particularly where you are in the story of God because we look at it on our phones, which is great, but you don't know where you are in the story. If you're, if you're looking at it on your phones, I'd really encourage you uh, to bring a Bible with you to church. So um, let's, let's look at this passage in Nehemiah. Uh, and I'll read it out to you. We're going to cover a fair bit of scripture today, but it's just so we can paint the picture of this story overall. And if I get stuck in a few words, you'll have to forgive me. Okay, so we'll start. Um, in the, mon- the month of Keslev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. We should be on another slide there if somebody can move it on for me. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night. For your servants, the people of Israel, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself, my father's house have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are on the furthest horizon... I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Okay, so it's a long passage, but I want you to get an idea of the story. God's people are in exile, and the reason why they're in exile is they have been taken away in captivity from where they originally lived in Jerusalem, and they've been taken by uh, a ruling force and brought to their land and actually scattered across the different lands. And this is one of the ways uh, in ancient times that... um, kings and armies would have uh, used to govern uh, an area that they took over is that they would separate the people out and push them around um, different parts of the land basically to divide them so that there was no single group that could um, rise up against them and so Nehemiah um, is way off and he's in the king's courts and he hears of the city that he is from, he hears of Jerusalem and he hears that the walls are broken down and that the place is in disgrace. And there's a big problem. Uh, and what he does, the first thing that he does is that he turns, he turns to God in prayer. And it says um, in the first couple of verses that he prayed and he fasted for several days. 
that he went on, on his knees before God um, and he started to pray. And there's a big problem. And therefore, he turns to God and he orientates himself towards heaven. And one of the things that I want us to think about today is, is that when it comes to prayer, we think of prayer in, in terms of transactions. Uh, or we think of prayer in terms of, you know, we are here and God is up in heaven. And therefore, we turn and we think, right, I'm going to pray and I'm going to send my prayers up to heaven. And when I was a kid, we used to get taught that it was a bit like there was a telephone line. And if you remember the old telephones and the old telephone line, and there was this line that went up to heaven and God was on the other end. But then you'd be told that because of sin, there was interference on the line as well. Um, and so you'd be trying to make a phone call to, to ring God. Hello, God, can you hear me? <laughs> it can't hear you because there's too much sin in your life. And um, so we start to think about sort of our prayers or that, you know, in some way we package up our prayers and we throw them up to heaven and we hope that like they get there or like there's some kind of mystical envelope floating up into the clouds and, and God occasionally reads some of them. And we've kind of got this messed up idea of what prayer is. And when it comes to uh, presence and prioritizing the presence of God, what we've got to realize is that prayer is about encounter. It's not about transaction. It's about actually us coming into the presence of God and and there being a dialogue, a two-way thing. It's not like we kind of write down our requests and then send them off to God. And when he's not too busy, he goes through them and he reads them and he thinks, I'm going to answer this one, not that one, not that one, not that one. Um, But something um, in Nehemiah's life is that he comes and he prays for maybe for a couple of days. And he's not really sure. And so my first point, actually, if you could stick it up on the slide, because I don't think this week controller is working, is that prayer changes perspective. Nehemiah has a big problem. The city is in ruins. It's, it's in a mess. And he starts, the reality of, of Jerusalem's destruction is graphically overshadowing him. But he doesn't start in his prayers. When we have his recorded prayers in verse 5, if you want to look at that in your Bibles, he spends some time praying, and then he says, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to the prayer of your servant. And so what he starts with is not the problem. He starts with God. He starts with how big God is, how awesome and wonderful God is. And that is a context in which he then starts to think. And you see, when we encounter the living God, perspective changes. We actually catch the reality of who God is. Uh, uh, but very often we don't. Very often we come and we go, God, you, you never guess what's happened. And obviously he can guess. Um, but there's this major problem has happened in my life. And this has happened and this has gone wrong and this has gone wrong and this has gone wrong. And in that moment, when crisis hits us, how do we feel? We feel scared. We feel angry. There's anguish. We're, we're confused. So what is dictating our reality, the circumstance, the situation. Whereas what Nehemiah does is he says, oh God, you're the awesome God. You're you're the king of heaven. I see you. I understand who you are. And in that, that perspective, that reality, I'm now thinking about Jerusalem and the mess that it's in. And so often we don't do that. We start with the problem. 
when we need to start with a solution. You know, it's that simple. But presence, the presence of God changes how we think and how we feel and how we see things. And you know this in your own life. And sometimes, actually, um, there's really serious things going on in our life. And, but yet, when we come into worship, like we did this morning, we're actually we're re-engaging our brain. We're, we're retraining ourselves. We're tuning ourselves in to the voice of God, to the reality of God, to who he is. And we're starting to see things differently. And it's only from that place that we can actually think with the mind of, of, of Christ and see what God can do in our circumstances, in our, in our situations. And so what we're going to see when it comes to Nehemiah is it goes from helpless bystander to involved intercessor, to active initiator, to triumphant finisher. He goes through the whole cycle. And that's the same cycle that God wants to have for us in our lives, that we go from a helpless bystander to an involved intercessor, because it's only in that intercession. If you like, intercession is a dialogue, is a conversation between us and God, back and forth. God, what are you doing? How am I going to deal with my circumstances? What's going on? To actually, um, as we'll see in a minute, that, that very often, um, and, and we struggle with this, but when, when we start praying to God, we become the answer to our own prayers. Um, and then we'll see what Nehemiah does in a few minutes' time. But one of the things that comes up in that, in that prayer that we were looking at in Nehemiah chapter 1 is that uh, Nehemiah says, God, can I have your ear? Can, can, are you listening? And, and he, he says, you know, will your ears be attentive to my prayers? And Nehemiah needs something to change. And in fact, he wants to go to the king and he wants to, to speak to the king. At, at the end of the passage that we read, he basically says, you know, God, can I have the ear of the king? But he starts with the ear of the king of kings. He starts with that place of actually saying, God, I need your ear. Are you listening? I'm tuning into you. Can I tell you what I think? I need this other person over here to change. I need, I need him to listen. But God, uh, I need you to listen first. And so in order to get the ear of the king, he seeks the ear of the king of kings. He gets his perspective right. So I don't want to just to, to actually, we're going to jump on a little bit in this passage and we're going to see what happens. So I want you to think about the fact that Nehemiah, whilst the, the problem in his life is big, he's gone to God. He's actually um, sought him, sought his presence. He's confessed the sin of his people because he realizes that that's why his people are in that place in the first place. And then he says at the very end of chapter one, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. And he says, I was cupbearer to the king. Um, so read with me on, in chapter 2. And we'll actually just, there we go. If you could just put chapter 2 up there for me, that would be great. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Xerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my father, fathers are buried lies in ruins? 
and its gates have been destroyed by fire, the king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. And, and as we, we read on, um, I don't have time to read on this morning, what we find is that the king says, okay, uh, you can do that. And Nehemiah goes, oh, and um, oh, by the way, I need some wood. Oh, and by the way, I need help. And, and by the way, could you help me with this? And could you help me with that? And I'm going to be away for a long time. And could you give me letters so that everybody will let me through and nobody will stop me? Um, and it starts with this moment of Nehemiah doing what he does every day. He's cupbearer to the king. And the king sees that his face is sad. And, and the, the king asks him what's wrong. And so he has this moment of fear. He says, may the king live forever. And then he says, why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, what is it you want? And in that moment when the king said, what is it you want? Nehemiah knew something, right? I'm probably not going to get my head chopped off right now. It's probably what he knew first of all. The king is interested. The king's ear is attentive towards him. He's got the ear of the king. He prayed that he would have the ear of the king, and now he has the ear of the king. And the thing about Nehemiah is he's a cup bearer. He's a man of little authority, but he's a man of great influence because he's right there in the presence of the king. He has the ear of the king. And in a way, Nehemiah is a bit, of, a bit like a disposable utensil. He's a wine taster. He's a poison tester. But he's a man that God is going to use because God has placed him in a specific place in order to actually change the history of an entire nation. And you see, we might not be people of great authority. We might not be able to boss loads of people around and get things done in that way. But maybe God has given you the ear of someone. Maybe God has called you to be the voice in somewhere. We might not be people of great authority, but we can be great people of great influence because the spirit of the living God is on us. And so Nehemiah realizes as he starts to speak, and this is very funny because when you read this passage carefully, you realize that Nehemiah didn't have a plan. He didn't have a plan. And I'll tell you why. Because when the king said, what is it you want? Nehemiah says, and then I prayed to the God of heaven, and, and then I answered the king, if it pleases the king, if your servants find favor in his sight. So Nehemiah's gone, oh, the king said, what is it you want? Nehemiah says, hold on a wee second. What is it I want, God? Uh, well, here's what I want, right? So I love that because do you ever find yourself in a situation where you don't have a clue what to do? And your prayer is, oh, help God, oh, help, oh, help, uh, what am I going to do? And um, what's very important is, is that, that we, we do that. See, what Nehemiah did in that moment of, oh, help, something's actually happening here, what am I going to do, is that he prayed. And he must have only had a couple of seconds. He, he didn't sort of say, um, oh, thanks for the opportunity, King. Can I, go, can I get back to you? I'm just going to go for another couple of days and do some more prayer and fasting. He has to answer the king in that moment. 
And you see, what happens, or what we need to realize, like Nehemiah, is that our response in any situation is our response to the presence of God, because God cannot be absent. That's a quote by Thomas Keating, if you want to put it on the screen, so you can read it through again. It's an amazing quote. Our response in any situation is our response to the presence of God, because God cannot be absent. And if you start to think about that, it will change your life. Because in that moment, Nehemiah realizes, I need to respond, not to fearfully um, in front of the king, but actually before the king of kings. I stand in before both. And so he responds to the king of kings. And in boldness, he says, well, this is what I want. Here's the plan. Here's how much stuff I need. Here's how much time I need. Here, here's what I want to do to rebuild the, the, the city walls. And do you know what the problem with that is? Nehemiah is a cupbearer. He's not an architect. He's not a strategist. He's a guy who um, is in the courts of the king. Um, I just want to tell you one little quick story about perspective. And I think actually, kids, can you put, put up David and Goliath for me, please? Um, my son loves the story of David and Goliath, and he gets very, very excited about it um, because he knows there's a certain point in the story that he's always waiting for. And so we talk about how small David is and how big Goliath is, and talk about how big Goliath is and how scary he is, and that he had a shield that was so big that somebody else, like there was a bloke, and his job was just to carry Goliath's shield so big. And, and my son's getting excited because he knows that there's a bit that's coming where we say David was really small, but Goliath was really, really big. And it's actually all he wants to say is, but God is bigger. Because David is not looking at Goliath. If you like, he's looking over Goliath's shoulder and he sees God. And so that's why David is not afraid of Goliath, is that he's not looking at him. He sees God in that moment. He sees how big God is. And that's what captures his imagination. And that's why he says, you know, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come in the name of the Lord of hosts. So like perspective here. You might be nine foot, but God's a little bit bigger than that. Um, and we have these conversations all the time about how big God is because he brings that reality into our circumstances. And sometimes we need to be like a child who kind of thinks, my situation, my circumstances is big, are big, but God is bigger. He's bigger. And so Nehemiah, in seeing and speaking to God in that moment, declares to the king what he needs to bring life to the city of Jerusalem. And he does it with boldness. And so uh, my second point here is that presence fuels prayer because prayer is about dialogue and it's about conversation. And prayer and worship are like two pistons of encounter. They're two things that work together hand in hand is that we seek God in worship, we seek God in prayer, but we believe that God will respond to us that he will speak, that he's got something to say, that he answers our prayers. And Nehemiah was afraid, afraid for a good reason, but he recognized that, that God was going to respond. And, and we need to learn this response in prayer. We need to actually realize God wants to speak to me, that in my circumstances I bring them before him, but am I listening? He is not absent, he's with me. 
And so therefore, he's going to say something and he's going to speak. Um, and so I, I want to just tell you a little story. Uh, and it's a true story. Um, and uh, it's a reasonably long story, but it is quite good. So um, a few years ago, there was a, a group of Americans that came over to do some street outreach and uh, a worship kind of concert um, thing in Drum Cree Parish Church uh, just down the road and where the wonderful Gary Galway and his wife Heather are ministering. And um, th- these people who were over from America were giving out prophetic words. Okay, and they're saying, I feel like God's saying this, and I feel like, is there somebody here called such and such, and, and blah, blah, blah. And, and God was really moving. It was really exciting. And at one stage, the guy that was running the team, he said, um, is there somebody here called Brian? There's about 400 people in the room, and um, I'm quite prophetic, and so when other people are giving prophecies, I'm always listening and thinking, oh, you know, there's bound to be two or three Brians in the room, you know, at least. And there were none. Um, there were no brands in the room at all. And the guy who was the leader of the team, he said, are you sure there are no brands in the room? And he's like, I really, really feel like God has given me a word for somebody called Brian. And um, there were no brands in the room. And this was on a Thursday night. Okay? Fast forward to Saturday morning. And we had the kids at home. And it was one of those Saturday mornings when the kids just decide that they're just going to fight with each other all morning, no matter what. You know, he took my such and such, she looked at me funny, you know, all that kind of stuff. That was just Debbie and I. And, um, <laughs> but the kids were just, um, I just thought, I need to get these children outside. And I, they need exercise, you know. And so I said, right, kids, we're going to go to the park, three children. And they said, we're not going. We're not going unless we can bring our bikes. I said, that's no problem. I will get your bikes starting to get a little bit annoyed and I go to the garage and I can only get two bikes that work uh, the third one and so they're not going to the park because they don't have bikes I said right that's fine we'll bring scooters we'll bring scooters and we'll go to the park and you can run around and so I find two scooters and I don't have a third scooter and I said that's fine get into the car put the two scooters in the car I said on the way to the park I will buy a third scooter um and so I drove to, we, we live in Lurgan, I drove to Sports Direct in Lurgan. That's not an advertisement, it's just a reference. Um, and I bought a third scooter and I got them into the park and I was just like, go. And they, and they, they disappeared off like kind of, um, I was going to say like wild animals, but then my wife will give me a hard time. Um, they, they, anyway, they went off and they ran into the park and I just breathed a sigh of relief. And so I was strolling along in Lurgan Park and the kids are playing in the play park. And this man walks across my path. Young, young guy, probably in his early 20s, walks across my path. And as he does, he says, I'm not normally drunk, you know. And, and I turned around to him and I said, are you sure about that? And um, he says, no, no, um, I'm not normally drunk. But I haven't been drunk in eight months. But I have a really, really sore back. It's really, really sore. And that's why I'm drinking, because it's so sore. And I'm like... In this moment, I think I'm supposed to be a Christian. Um, I said, do you know, I, I don't really think alcohol is going to fix your back, but I believe that God can heal your back. Could I pray with you? Um, and he looked at me a bit funny as he did, and I said, um, I said um, I'm a pastor. And he said, oh, I thought you were something like that. <laughs> and um, I, I thought it was undercover. You know, I'm, looking, one, I'm just wearing normal clothes. He said, and then he, he turned around and started pointing at people. And this was a very loud conversation. 
know, kind of a very loud drunk. He starts pointing at people who are walking past within. He's shot and go, I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. I hate, I hate everybody. He said, but there's something different about you. And, and in that moment, I'm going, I think God's up to something here because there's nothing different about me today. Um, and, and I said, well, my name's Chris. What's your name? And he said, his name is? Brian. Yep. He said, my name's Brian. And I'm like, Brian, God's been looking for you. And, and I said, I was in a meeting of 400 people on Thursday night, and somebody said, is there anybody here called Brian? How many Brians do you think there were? And he's like, I don't know, two, three, four, none. None, because Brian, God wanted us to meet today. So I said, Brian, can I, can I, um, can I pray for your back? Um, and he's like, yeah, okay. So I, put my, I said, do you mind if I put my hand on your shoulder because I'm well trained in prayer ministry, you know. Um, can I pray for you? And he said, yeah, that's fine. Um, and so I thought, you know what? I'm going to pray for his back to be healed, but you know what I'm really going to do? Now that I've got the opportunity, I'm going to call out destiny in Brian. And I'm going to just tell him who he is, who he was meant to be, how God sees him, um, all that kind of stuff. So I started praying for Brian. And, uh, and I started saying, you know, God, thank you for Brian, who he is, blah, blah, blah. I started just calling out some stuff I feel like the Spirit put on, on me for him. And he opened his eyes and he went, can you read minds? And I was like, uh, no, Brian, you know, God loves you and he sees you and he wants you to know um, who, who he sees you as and he wants you to know that he has a plan for your life. He's like, right, right. Um, and then, so I'm praying away from him and then he opens his eyes again and he goes, have you got special powers? <laughs> no, Brian, that's God, he loves you and, and you know, uh, you, you probably feel his presence. And he says, I think, I think I'm better. I think I'm healed. And um, before I, I'd given him any opportunity to say, no, just be careful with your back there, Brian. He was touching his toes and jumping up and down. And he said, I'm, I'm healed. I'm better. I'm better. And then he starts telling the entire Lurgan Park that I've got special powers. <laughs> uh, and I can read minds. He's shout, literally shouting to anybody that will hear. And I'm like, shh, Brian, seriously. Um, I don't have special powers and I can't read minds. But I tell you what, God loves you. And he has a plan for your life. And I said, would you like to give your life to, to Jesus right now? And you never guess what he said after all that. He's like, yep, I would. And, and so I led him to the Lord. We just did a wee simple prayer and stuff. And then uh, I got chatting to him and found out that uh, he didn't drive. And our church was in Portadown. So I said, do you see that church just up the road from Lurgan Park? It's called Nemanja. Um, uh, I tell you what, I'll meet you there tonight, or sorry, tomorrow night, because it was a Saturday. Uh, and, and so he came along and introduced him to some people in Emmanuel in Lurgan. And, um, and then my kids decided that they had had enough of playing in Lurgan Park, grabbed their scooters and wanted to go around the lake. And so I was like, I'm sorry, Brian, I have to go. And as I was going away, there was Brian standing in the middle of Lurgan Park, pointing at me, going, he's got special powers. <laughs> he can read minds. And uh, I don't say this because I'm great. I say this because God is great. Because I wasn't really, I hadn't been praying on that Saturday morning. I hadn't been seeking God. I hadn't been doing pretty much anything that would make me able to do those things or to see that happen. But in the moment when I recognized that God was doing something, I turned to him and, and went, okay, God, I suppose I have to get on board with what you're doing 
Uh, and I think that um, this kind of relates to my third point, is that, that when we actually encounter God, he gives us prophetic revelation to be able to speak his will, to, to actually bring life into circumstances, to speak truth and wisdom. And, and so actually in the story of Nehemiah, I want to just point out what I think in a lot of ways is the prophetic. So from verse 7 it says, I said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me with safe conduct until I arrive there. May I have a letter to Asapha, king of the keeper's forest, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And his gracious hand, the hand of my God was on me and the king granted me his requests. And, And I was reading this and going, hang on. Where does Nehemiah get all this information from? Where does he get the plan and the strategy from? He's cupbearer to the king. A moment ago, when the king asked him what he wanted, he didn't know. He had to turn to God and go, what is it I want? Right, okay, I need this. I need, okay, right, yes, uh-huh. Um, okay, so here's what I need, king. And so God takes this guy who's a cupbearer and he gives him a strategy to transform uh, a city in that moment. He's not a skilled craftsman. Uh, and actually, see, when you look at, at this, as the story unfolds, Nehemiah, he, he's not a hands-on kind of guy. Um, in fact, there's a bit where he's surveying the, the walls by donkey, and he's going around surveying the walls, and he gets to the bit where there's, there's a bit of rubble. And he says, I couldn't get past there. There was a bit of rubble, so I went a different way. And I was reading that going, well, if that was me, I'd be up on top of that rubble. I'd be having a good hook. I'd want to see what was there. But he's the, he wouldn't even get off his donkey. And, do you know, I've read the, the whole book of Nehemiah, and I can't find a single time in which Nehemiah got his hands dirty, where he actually put a brick in place at all. And if he was a skilled craftsman, if he knew how to build, he would have been in there with the people saying, I tell you what, I'll show you how to do it. But he's not. And God gives him a strategy. He has this prophetic revelation. And within the prophetic, we have things like um, the gift of prophecy itself. But we have wisdom and knowledge. We have revelation. And God takes um, our, our minds and he transforms them so that we can think and strategize and look at things differently. And so when I was reading this, I was thinking about, you know, there's so many times in our life when we're in a circumstance where we think, if only I had the ability to do this or to do that or to think in this way or to think in that way. Or if only there was somebody else here who was really good at that kind of stuff. And could it be that actually me plus God is enough for whatever situation or circumstance I find myself in? Could it be that when we receive wisdom and revelation and knowledge from God that it's about stuff that we don't really know very much about? but like we receive the strategy of heaven to bring life to the circumstances that we're in. So, you know, imagine that. Imagine the prophetic being released into the environment in which you live. You see, we see it in in such a narrow way, but the voice of God spoken or painting a picture in whatever circumstances we find it, the prophetic imagination can bring transformation to business. So if you're a business person and you're in a certain environment, What would it look like for you to go, okay, God, we've got this problem. What are we going to do about it? And God said, well, you need to do this, this, and this. 
What if you were in education and you were in a primary school and there was a difficult class or a difficult set of circumstances or a difficult child and you were to say, do you know what, God, I don't know what to do. Here, can you please help me? And God said, okay, that's fine. Well, why don't you do this? Why don't you take that child aside and say this? Why don't you, you manage your classroom like that? Or if it's on the factory floor or if it's in your home, could it be that there are strategies of heaven for every environment that we're in if we would only actually realize that it's within the presence of God that we encounter him, that he changes our perspective, that we actually enter into a narrative of prayer and then we receive wisdom and, and the gift of the Spirit to bring life to whatever circumstances we're in. See, in Ephesians 1 verse 7, it says, uh, Paul prays that we would receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we might know him better. You see, if, we're, if we know God better than we know, and, and, and again, this is where we have a bit of a disconnect with verses like that. If we know him better, is that just so we can go, hmm, I, I know God a lot better now. That's amazing. I have so much information, so much knowledge. Wow, thank you. Thank you, God. It is. But could it be then that in knowing him better, that we then know about him and we know his ways? Yeah. And in knowing his ways, we would actually maybe just even start applying some of that knowledge to our everyday life. You know, we spend so much time. And I know I grew up in church and sometimes we, we, we want to come to church and we want to be um, stimulated, you know, and, and challenged and, and, um, or even rebuked. And we think, oh, wasn't that a really good sermon? I really learned something there and I really felt challenged. And, and, and that's all. We don't actually take that challenge. We don't take that word from God and think, what does that look like in my everyday life? Can I maybe apply that? Could that actually make sense in, in the place where God has put me? If God can teach a cupbearer how to rebuild a city, then he can teach you how to build your home or how to build your family how to build your school, how to build a business. And that's what, if we're going to see our citywide area built and transformed, we need to go from the mundane, everyday environment that we're in, of just doing the same thing all the time, to suddenly encountering the presence of God and starting to think differently. That our minds and hearts would be transformed and we think, I can bring life to the city. And if the 150 people in this room and all the people here in churches all over this citywide area started to think like that, that if we all change something, some little thing in the environment that we are in, we would change this city. We would change the whole area. And what happens with the, the building of the walls is that Nehemiah, he has the big strategy. But when you read about it, you, you realise that it's, perfume makers and, and goldsmiths and, and priests and all these different people. And, and, and the wall is built in sections and by families that the change and transformation of building a wall around an entire city, which unlocks that city's destiny and, and restores it, that it happens in the hands of everyday, ordinary people who have a vision for not necessarily the whole wall, but their bit. It's great when you read Nehemiah and you realise that, that each family built the bit outside their house. Um, and, and they built, and, and, and Nehemiah is very particular. He, he's, he's like super, super detailed. Like, I am not Nehemiah. I was reading going, I don't even know if you and I would get on. 
because um, he knows like, exactly down to the last person who was there in Jerusalem. He names every single person that built the wall. It's super detailed, but when you, when you look at that detail, what you see is that everyone has their part, everyone has their place, everyone is building something of God's kingdom. And we need vision to believe that God will transform us. But so often we find ourselves being dictated by our circumstances, allowing that to overshadow us. Um, A wise man once said that our shadow will release whatever is overshadowing us. So if you're overshadowed by your problems, if you're overshadowed by doubt, if you're overshadowed by fear, guess what you're going to release into the environments that you're in? Fear and doubt and shame, condemnation, if that's overshadowing you. But what if we were overshadowed by the presence of the living God? Could it be then that we would release something of heaven into the environment in which we're in? Could it be that we would release that into our family, into education, into the business world, into our homes? Because we've, we've encountered the living God and we've realised he has something to say and something to do in our circumstances. Um, I'll finish with a little quote from a guy called Brother Lawrence. And he wrote a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. And he was basically this monk. And he worked pretty much in the kitchens and in the gardens and stuff like that. And, and he was doing these very mundane things. But he realized one day, in every little mundane thing, in every circumstance in my life, God is here. And so I'm actually going to wash pots as on to the Lord. I'm going to involve God in my everyday life in the kitchen and out in the garden. I'm going to orientate myself and my life around him. And hundreds of years later, we look back uh, and, um, and we hear the words of Brother Lawrence. This is a good little quote. It says, There is not in the world a kind of life more sweet and delightful than that of a continual conversation with God. Those only can comprehend it who practice and experience it. There's nothing more delightful than a continual conversation with God. And I'll read you another quote that I have here. It's not up on the screen. I cannot imagine how religious persons can live satisfied without the practice of the presence of God. For my part, I keep myself retired with him in the depths of center of my soul as much as I can. And while I am so with him, I fear nothing. But the least turning from him is insupportable. While I am with him, I fear nothing. In the presence of God, John says, um, in 1 John, he says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. But the least turning from him is insupportable. Wouldn't it be great that we got to the point in our life where we didn't do anything except that God was there? That we, we wouldn't actually think without knowing that he was with us. And, and so I want to just um, ask you this morning, is there a circumstance or a situation in your life where you think, I have led that situation, that relationship issue, that problem in work, that health problem, it's dictating my reality. It's determining how I feel. I don't have the perspective of heaven, but I need it. Um, Maybe we could just minister into that for a moment or two. Well, why don't we stand? And we'll we'll just pray as we're finishing. And maybe um, you want to bring 
the circumstance in your life that, that is just forefront in your mind right now uh, before the Lord and just ask him to bring change and transformation to it for you to receive the perspective of heaven but also that you would uh, receive from him maybe through prophetic words and pictures and visions maybe just through the still small voice of God speaking to you you would, sp- you would receive revelation for change and transformation in your circumstances so let's pray together His Father, we just thank you for this picture of Nehemiah. A man faced with difficult problems and things that seemed to overwhelm him, but yet he turned to you. And I pray just, God, with whatever we're facing this morning, that we would turn to you. That we would recognize and see you for who you are. That the greatness and wonder of who you are would fill our minds and our hearts right now. And the power that our circumstances have over us, that that would just start to to ebb away. That it would get smaller, Lord, as you get bigger. You would just get so big in our minds and in our hearts, the reality and the wonder of you. That we would see our circumstances for what they are in light of you. And Father, we ask this morning for breakthrough. We ask for prophetic revelation. We ask for words of wisdom. We ask for knowledge and wisdom that will unlock situations and family breakdowns and uh, business problems and and issues with, with our kids that we're struggling with, Lord. We ask for the strategies of heaven, for the brokenness that we face in our everyday lives. So we ask for a breakthrough this morning, Lord. Will you come and bring breakthrough? Yes. And Lord, what we receive personally, may we also receive corporately and as a community and for the city as well. Lord, you would unlock heaven on earth. Yes. Amen.